But first, in this hour, we're going to be talking uh, a bit about what went on yesterday. So uh, controversial uh, is this is, to say the least, uh, and I'm sure that was her plan. Join me now is Vancouver City Councillor Jean Swanson, who spent yesterday handing out free drugs like heroin on the downtown east side. Hello, Councillor Swanson. Hey, George. Thanks for joining me today. I'm good. I know you're busy uh, with meetings uh, this week, and I appreciate you finding the time. Um, So let's get to it. Like, why why are you doing this? What's going on? Um, There is two organizations, the Drug Users Liberation Front, alias Dolph, and Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, Vandu, who asked me to do it. So I did it for them. Because (laughs) I know I've been... Before I was elected, I worked with Vandu a lot mm-hmm. on housing and welfare issues, and I know they're really dedicated to keeping people safe. There's people who work at Vandu as volunteers who have saved, you know, mm-hmm. I, one guy there, Hugh Lampkin, he saved 100 lives. So I know they're really dedicated to saving lives, and I'm convinced from what they say and from the scientific evidence that we need a safe supply of drugs to stop the overdose crisis which is killing almost six people a day in bc yeah i know it's it's terrible it, it's actually it's not an overdose crisis it's a poison drug crisis yeah the problem no. is that the drugs are poison so the, the drugs that you're handing out uh counselor swanson were what and where did you get them from um the two groups got them and had them tested and uh I didn't ask them exactly where they got them from, but I trust them that they were tested well. And they were uh, heroin, cocaine, and meth. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's putting a lot of faith in them, but obviously you have a lot of faith in these people because you have been working with them for a long time. I'm sure others might disagree. How was the uh, uptake? <laughs> Did you have a lineup? I mean, this seems like, you know, this is a very unusual situation. We gave uh, four packets to four different groups. I think the groups were uh, Vandu, the Western Aboriginal Harm Reduction Society, the TOROS, um, TOROS stands for Tenant Overdose mm-hmm. Response Organizers, and um, one other group, no, oh, no. Dolph. Okay, so Dolph. And they would hand them out to their... So they folks. would do the... And they would administer them to make sure that there was no overdoses, I'm assuming, you're, you're hoping. Yeah. Because yeah. that would be a concern with me and most people. With okay, you give these drugs to somebody, they go away because we have you know um, safe supplies. One thing, but um, you know people have to be taken care of as well if they're uh, in this situation. So you're really confident that there's these groups will have taken care of that, and we wouldn't have any overdoses. Yep. So, was your intention to get arrested? Because you're a city councillor, you have, I know you're a troublemaker, you have, in the past, I, <laughs> you know, I, I've... Me I, a troublemaker? Uh, I was in council, and I remember, uh, Jean, what, <laughs> you came in a few times, so it's, it's in your blood, but, you know, now you're elected, you're representing all the people of Vancouver, and you're putting yourself in a situation, it may be the fad these days, because your own mayor has been arrested, uh, protesting... But is, it, is that really what you should be doing as an elected person for the people of the city? I think the issue is that isn't the big question that we should be asking. The big mm-hmm. question we should be asking is should six, almost six people a day be dying from a preventable cause? And I think the answer to that question is no. And the other answer to it is 
we need a safe supply and we need it now and we can't keep waiting and waiting and waiting for half measures. The downtown east side, has, as you mentioned, the downtown east has been very effective at dealing with this, uh, the you know, this poison, as you call it, this, this bad drug supply in, in that they've created an, almost an infrastructure to deal with this. And there are f- f- several groups dealing with that. And in fact, the own stats that you have received at council shows that the people who are dying of these overdoses aren't actually on the downtown east side. They're outside the area. They're in basement suites, uh, you know, on their own. They're construction workers who live, are living in pain. They're, these are the people who are dying. So shouldn't that be your focus if you care about getting proper medication as a, and drugs to people who need them as opposed to the downtown east side, which seems to have things under control when it comes to managing the over when it comes to managing this overdose crisis because of those groups you mentioned they don't have things under control in the downtown east side i know several people who have died recently friends good dear precious friends who have died who lived in the downtown east side it is true that the death rate from overdoses in the downtown east side is lower than it is in other places Mm -hmm. because a lot of people have naloxone and are trained on how to use it and Furthermore, if somebody on a construction site invited me to come and hand out free and safe drugs there, I would do that. But in this case, it was people in the downtown hmm. side that did it, and so I, I did what they asked. If, if you had been arrested, what, what are the repercussions of that for you as a counselor? I don't know. I did <laughs> manage to get an amendment through our code of conduct allows us to, have, to participate in civil disobedience, which is what this was. But it's also illegal. You're you're giving away illicit drugs as by as, as determined by the laws of our country. Uh, this wasn't you know marijuana. This was cocaine and heroin. Mar- marijuana is legal. Yes, but that's not what you're handing out. So you put you. you I'm just saying. Would you, you you totally would be cool with getting arrested? I assume. Well, I didn't think it was much of a possibility of it because the police are always advertising how. Mm-hmm. They believe in decriminalizing of drug use and how it's supposed to be a health issue, not a criminal issue. And right. this is part of their image. So, mm, interesting. Uh, so, um, what's what kind of trouble are you getting into next, to Miss uh, Watson? What's what are you doing next? What's going to are you are we going to go to see you at a construction site? If I, if you get that offer, you're going to be heading to a construction site and helping in that situation. What other? Well, tr- yep. Go ahead. If somebody asks me, and if they have some safe drugs, um, yeah, I don't have any. I don't plan to get in trouble, but if somebody asks me to do something that seems like it's necessary, then there's a good chance that I'll say yes. Okay, final question for you, because this is all, all yeah, everybody else is running for mayor of uh, Vancouver. Are you going to be running for mayor, Councillor Swanson? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> Are you going to run for council again? I haven't decided yet. Okay. I appreciate you joining me today. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today and tomorrow. And, uh, you know, feel free to call us on our buzz line when you hear anything. Certainly if what we talked about briefly before, uh, call our buzz line 604-331-2899, 604-331-2899 with your thoughts on anything we're talking about. And as I said, before the break, we spoke with Vancouver City Councillor Jean Swanson about why she thought handing out free dr- hard drugs on the downtown east side was a good idea. I'm now joined by Melissa DiGenova, NPA City Council in Vancouver for her take on this. Hey, uh, Councillor DiGenova, how are you? Hey, George, you can call me Melissa. You know that. <laughs> okay, so let's get straight to it. What are your thoughts on, on what you heard your councilmate there handing out free drugs on the downtown east side? Well, I, 
I do agree with Jean that we need safe supply. And mm-hmm. I've advocated for safe supply. I put forward a motion, although, as you know, with our council, it's, you know, a uh, uh, hundred amendments before it's done. But I got it passed unanimously to look at, you know, how do we continue to move forward with the four pillars approach? But that's exactly what we need here for clean supply. Mm-hmm. We need the four pillars approach. And, you know, handing out uh, drugs that have been tested is one thing. But, you know, when right now we have uh, a gang war that is being fought on the streets of Vancouver and drugs is what they are fighting over and money is what they are fighting over that comes from this, these drugs, we can't just turn a blind eye to that and call this safe supply. So who's buying these drugs? I understand there's an organization. From what mm-hmm. I can tell, it's not a nonprofit or a charity. People are being asked to donate money to this to help buy drugs. I, I just don't know of any ethical cocaine dealers. Uh, I personally think that the, you know, the government should be providing safe supply. We had a trial here, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, the Naomi trial, where there was prescription heroin. I'm all for that. I don't think it's all that controversial to say that. Um, but I think that when we're, you know, um, in any way supporting organized crime and where that money goes, it's no secret. I mean, so it your goes not only the gang one, your assumption is she bought things. your assumption is she bought the the, the groups with the, of the drugs that she used were bought with money from uh, organized potentially or you know if not legally obviously they say they tested it but that's still not only is that illegal it is also risky I would say. But who's supplying these drugs? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even just who did uh, you know Councillor Jean Swanson buy this cocaine, meth, and heroin from? Um, or, or where did she get it from to give out if she didn't buy it herself? I think the question is who's supplying it and why is there a crowdfunding effort to buy it? If, I mean, if it's ethical and we're trying to have safe supply, why isn't it being donated for free out of the goodness of, of whoever the supplier is? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are big questions. And I think when we look at what, you know, what organized crime and that money funds, yeah, it might be down the line from the, the vulnerable person who needs that help in the downtown east side. Um, but again, you know, we're trying to fight, uh, fight against a, a gang war that, you know, a lot of lives have been taken, some of them innocent lives in the crossfires of that, mm-hmm. so, and that can't be ignored. The fact absolutely. that this also funds terrorism and human tra- trafficking, not specifically what Councillor Swanson's doing, but we all know that that's where organized crime and that money, you know, goes to. It goes round in the should, circle, George. Councillor Swanson have been arrested? Is this the role of a councillor to be put themselves in this kind of situation? I mean, she's, she's basically handing out drugs that are, uh, procured, as you assume, uh, illegally. Uh, she says they're safe. We don't know that for sure. Should she have been arrested uh, like any other drug dealer should be arrested? Or as she said, oh, well, we don't, the police don't do that anymore, basically. Well, I, I won't speak on behalf of the Vancouver Police Department, and I can't speak on behalf of Councillor Swanson. We often have different... But shouldn't opinions. we be arresting drug dealers and drug well, who are putting out illegal sure, drugs on the streets? That, I, I would hope that Councillor Swanson would agree with that. But what, what I think I would have liked to have seen is I would have liked to have seen Councillor Swanson just recently ask a bunch of councillors to sign a letter uh, to go to TransLink to uh, ask, ask about more HandyDart service and access. So why is inviting us to work with her across party lines to go to the federal government to demand... Would you have gone down there with her to hand out drugs? 
Would no, okay, no, I so would not. Have. That, that's the, what the I'm partisanship saying. There's other ways forward here. There's other ways forward. Is there what happens? She said that she put a motion forward that's now a, a permitted for her to do this. Basically, she's saying that there is uh, that you, there was a motion put forward, and now she's able to go and do these kinds of protests. I'm pretty sure push, she's pushing the boundaries of that. But is there any? Are there repercussions that you're going to pursue at City Hall in Council against Councillor uh, Swanson for doing this, or are you going to let this fly? Uh, personally, I am going to focus my efforts on moving forward to try and secure a safe supply, just as I have over two terms. You know, George, you were a city councillor. Uh, we fought that good fight together, I think, and I know that you support safe supply. I do too, but, you know, we can't be doing this and propping up drug dealers at the same time. And a don't ask, don't tell kind of mind frame uh, you know, isn't it's not something that I support. I also, you know, who's responsible for these people if they overdose? I mean, mm-hmm. is counselors down there every day, every time these people need drugs, or is it just certain days? So I think there's a lot of questions to be asked there, but I'd rather focus my time and energy on truly safe supply. But in the short term, that's great. Cutting that, out the organized a, crime here. That's a federal government decision right now. We're looking, if you go down to the downtown, downtown, downtown east side and you, you see for yourself what's going on, on. You know, it's 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 crazy what's going on down there. And the drug dealers are, I think, are running rampant down there. Uh, a few years ago, Sam Sullivan, former mayor, was in a bit of hot water for something similar, uh, but nothing ever really happened with it. But he was investigated, I believe. Now, does has times have time changed since then? Have have things because the police is new a mandate, as Councillor Swanson says, is to just let things lie and let them let them do their things. Basically, what it sounds like uh, that there's no uh, repercussions anymore, and and as a result, perhaps that's what we what we why we're seeing what we're seeing in the downtown east side, and and because we don't have a safe supply, but we don't have a safe supply now. So what do we do in the short term? What do we do in the short term? To hand out free drugs like this and do it illegally? Should that is that the solution? Because that's what she's saying. Well, I think I think if those drugs are, as I said, coming from an ethically sourced place, but I don't know any ethical heroin dealers or cocaine dealers except the federal government who is running. Okay, so what if the city, just like it did with marijuana, takes into a situation, legalize it in a way it says, okay, we are going to administer a process for hard drugs to be sold by in the city. and You have to follow certain procedures. A business license will cost you forty thousand dollars. Would you support that? Well, George, I didn't support that for marijuana, and it was for the reason of supporting organized crime. They were still supplying this. It wasn't mm-hmm. your friendly neighborhood across the counter, uh, you know, person that you're buying this marijuana from. It's organized crimes. It's gangs. It's groups that use this money on a higher level for other harms. So are we truly talking about harm reduction here? Are we talking about people's health and well-being and, and all of that? So, no, I wouldn't support that, but I do support Let's cut out the organized crimes. Let's cut out the gangs here. Let's move forward with the federal government and push them on this. And I'm an elected city councillor. That's what I was elected to do. And advocating for that is my job. Handing out drugs, I wouldn't do that personally. I would see that as trafficking. So that's not something you will see me doing. Um, But, you know, I, I think people have to ask, what harm are we doing here by supporting drug dealers with dollars. And okay. that's what's happening here. That's where, where these drugs are coming from. They're coming from uh, a source that, yep. that isn't ethical. Okay, Melissa, thanks very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy day today at the council, so appreciate it. Thanks, George. Thank you. 
George Affleck in for Jill Bennett this week and hope you're enjoying the day and that the sun continues to shine. Later in the show, we'll be getting some updates on the fires, though, that this uh, this dry weather is creating problems across our province. And we'll be getting some updates from the interior where we're seeing uh, smoke and fire creating real problems up there. So uh, is it time for Canada to start regulating uh, the marketing of food to kids? And how would that even work? Sylvain Charlebois is Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Professor of Food Distribution at Dalhousie University. His recent column in the Orca, at the orca.ca looked at those questions and it sure got me thinking as a parent. And Sylvain joins me now. Hey, Sylvain. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. So how bad is it for kids? Let's get, let's get into this because, you know, I have kids. It's, it's bad sometimes. Saturdays are usually worse, but how's it in general? Yeah, no, a lot of people do have kids, and uh, including yours truly. And uh, I think everyone uh, agrees that it's important for uh, society to protect uh, its children as much as possible. And um, it's, been, it's been difficult to market, to regulate uh, food marketing in general. Quebec, back in 1980, did it uh, with, uh, with mixed results, uh, so that was uh, well over four years, 40 years ago. And in those days, um, there wasn't a whole lot of science to it. But now we know uh, with, uh, with some, uh, some work in neuroscience, we actually know for a fact that children are actually influenced by, by marketing, by colors, by mm-hmm. scents, by very compelling messages, whether it's on TV, on the Internet. Uh, in a grocery store, toys in uh, boxes uh, were a, a ploy uh, heavily used back in mm-hmm. the 80s. Nice. I'm sure you, you remember yes. those days. Is that why they took them and away? So, because it made me want to eat candy? Is that what happened? Pretty much. Wow. I mean, it, they, the industry really has tried to self-regulate. Uh, at the federal level, there's, there's still little regulation going on, and uh, Quebec is basically the only one who has looked into it very seriously. I believe that BC also has looked into it very mm-hmm. seriously for a while, but now uh, with uh, Health Canada actually did provide some guidance recently, yeah. and the industry just a few weeks ago decided to come up with its own code of practice to regulate marketing towards children under the age of 13. So there's, there is some, there is some movement there. It's, you know, regulation is always tough in anything, but we do see it when it's not healthy for you. For example, smoking, you know, cigarettes have significant restrictions, especially for, for anybody under 18. Uh, you see that in all, every province. Um, you can't even see the, the brands or the, you know, in the stores anymore and the advertising is restricted. And, and because smoking kills. Well, I suppose you, you're arguing sugar does kill. Uh, it's not healthy. We're seeing kids that are overweight more than we ever have, adults as well. Um, so why not? Why is the government not jumping on board with this going, that makes sense because well, it worked for smoking? As soon as soon as you deal with a moralistic state, I, I tend to uh, be very skeptical. If smoking kills, why is it still legal to, to sell the product? Yeah, well, I mean, basically. Because you know... I, mean, I think it's a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah, because well, we have... I think the, everyone to, knows the answer. Well, we have the examples in the 1920s with alcohol in America where they... Prohibition and, and it didn't work. It just created a whole underground economy. And I think that it's better to fight maybe but, but fight in, marketing in sense, and marketing maybe. Yeah, well, with tobacco, I mean, governments do make a lot of money selling mm. uh, a product that can actually kill people. And 
And so uh, with food, of course, uh, again, uh, we've had discussions around the soda tax. We've had mm-hmm. discussions around regulating food marketing. Uh, at the end of the day, and this is the one message uh, I convey in my latest piece, is really the power belongs to parents. Uh, <laughs> the power is really, yeah. they're the ones buying the products. And so education, in my view, is probably the most powerful tool we have in this country in order mm-hmm. to entice people to make the proper choices for themselves and their loved ones. Sometimes, though, you as food has evolved, you don't even know sometimes what's in food. It's 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 very, um, you know. There's parents who would who you know might feed their kids some kind of product, and they don't even realize that it's full of salt and sugar and all these other things. Uh, they just want to get, they just want to get the food. In, and I've got one kid; he only eats beige food. I mean, he won't eat any colors. <laughs> it's like it's tough to find a healthy diet for him when he he's so uh, restrictive in his own. Well, way. good for him. I mean, if if you, if, if your breakfast cereal glows in the dark. <laughs> eat it in the first place. <laughs> well, I grew up in the seventies, and all of my cereals glowed in the dark, uh, Chris. <laughs> it was, it was the way it was, and, and and the toy thing. Of course, I never thought about it as because you know you'd buy the cereal, and you didn't care about you actually. But the, it was a toy that made you want to buy the cereal, and you would the first thing you do when you get home would you put your oh, hand in there and pull it out, and then who cares about the cereal? You're like, and you got this junky Absolutely. little toy. But so Absolutely, but so absolutely, and so yeah. of course the toy companies. Even in food service with uh, companies like McDonald's, they're, they're being very careful with, uh, with the Happy Meals and how mm-hmm. they market their products now. Uh, but there's still uh, no real powerful regulation. The other tricky thing about food marketing is that uh, often we actually set that threshold of uh, less than old. Well, how do you actually limit uh, or you regulate marketing for a portion of the market. Uh, yeah. England actually just regulated uh, food marketing for children on the age of 13 during the day on TV. Well, I got two questions. What does TV mean today in 2021? <laughs> because My kids don't even watch kids TV. actually will listen to shows uh, on YouTube and uh, on the Internet. And totally. secondly, who listens, who listens to TV in the afternoon? Um, I mean, my 13-year-old, I, we beg him to come watch TV with us because he's like, uh, I'm good. You're like, come on. And they'll sit there on their phones that are like, you know, these t- teeny screens and, and right across the room is like a 60-inch TV or something. You're like, you know there's a TV right there. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. Uh, you know, and then, of course, the gaming is, of course, you know, when I was a kid, it was Pong. And that was only so interesting for so long. But, uh, you know, it's, You're dating yourself. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm an Xer. Yeah, come on. Uh, I still have my I still have my pong game actually. Um, so, but you know, I think it's tough though for parents to the, the pressure that they are on. So, how, you say England, if they, but that that balance, yeah, is it is it the where the messages are being told? Uh, is it what the or do you just fight fire with fire that the government should just be focusing more, as you said, on education, which it should include marketing. I mean, that's the, the cigarette industry really. It, they that's how they educated us. They didn't make us, and certain areas made it really hard to smoke. Like in Vancouver, the park board you know got rid of smoking in its parks a long time ago. Then in the city, you're not allowed to smoke. It's really tough to be a smoker in Vancouver. Um, how does so government made rules, but they wasn't like absolutely none of this allowed anywhere. Um, and they empowered, you know, strata councils here have rules that you can't smoke. Can, how do we do the same thing with, with candy? <laughs> Can you market it well, and make them understand? Oh, yeah. it, it, in the food industry, there's something really 
happening right now. Uh, for for the longest time, uh, industry was just waiting for governments to, you know, capitulate uh, based on public opinion to regulate. Nowadays, what what we're seeing over the last few years, industry trying to get ahead of policy as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's so they don't get pricing, uh, policed too much. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and this is kind of what's going on right now. There's a bit of a cat and mouse game going on between industry and governments because in, ca- in Canada in particular, it is actually very popular to see, to, to, to see Canadians wanting governments to regulate. Yeah. Uh, most Americans are very skeptical of Washington and government. In Canada, we actually tend to trust governments believe that we do believe in the state we believe that mm-hmm. that governments can protect people from themselves I think uh, our, not in America yeah. and so that's why I think the industry is trying to kind of behave and come up with its own regulations before the government does it George Affleck in for Jill Bennett and we're taking your calls uh, on how to get your kids off junk food and it should be should it be regulated we're joined by Sylvain Charlebois who's the senior director of Agri Food Analytics Lab and a professor in food distribution at Dalhousie University and we have Bill from Burnaby on the line Bill your thoughts Gentlemen how are you doing today Good good what's up so junk food get us, get the kids off it what do you think well, uh, we started our boy young, uh, just with healthy eating and stuff like that. I mean, everything in moderation, of course. But I don't know if we need to go down the road of uh, actually regulating this kind of thing. Uh, I've, I've heard your guests mention that a lot, most Canadians prefer government regulation in the comparison to the United States. And uh, I'll just say this. I grew up in the prairies, and I can tell you we don't want the government anywhere near anything regarding I, I think, our kids. I think that would be choice. why, Bill. You're, you're from the prairies. If you know, There's certainly a different mentality, certainly in Alberta, I think, to government than, than seems like the rest of Canada. But that's a good point. Uh, uh, you know, that's uh, – Sylvain, what do you think? I mean, that's the, is there diversity across the country that would make that impossible as well? I think the message I just heard is that parents should be responsible. <laughs> I mean, they – Parents have responsibility. At the end of the day, they're the ones making decisions for their children. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to remind people that they do have responsibilities. And and education is a big piece. I know a lot of people out there are desperate to make their uh, children happy. Uh, They they can't say no. I mean, those are the kinds of things that are are raised as we're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out how to make our children healthier and how do we protect our children from I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that industry is uh, is is the hill of society. <laughs> I actually think they have a role to play, hmm. and 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 their role is to actually you know contribute to the economy. At, but also uh, they're also trying to innovate in different ways, and they're trying to grow their business, and right. that's perfectly fine as long as they don't hurt people. But at the end of the day, it's up to the consumer to decide what uh, the market should accept and what the market shouldn't accept. All right. Thanks, Bill, for your call. We're taking your calls, uh, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. How do you get your kids off junk food? Should it be regulated? We've got Hillary from Delta. Go ahead, Hillary. Oh, hi. Um, I I have to say I I do agree with your guest speaker that uh, the food industry doesn't need to be regulated and we don't need Mm -hmm. regulation. However, uh, as, as well, then I would just like to say, you know, with my kids, I'm a grandma now, but... With my kids, I um, 
we had the example of someone who was diabetic in our family, and mm-hmm. I always say let's use the teaching tools we have available mm-hmm. to us. And we showed, and we all endured late stages diabetes and someone dying from the complications, and that was all because of, um, you know, sugar. So um, I believe knowledge is power. How did you, you know, I mean, with the kids that didn't have the challenges, how do you, how did you communicate that to them and make help them, especially when they're younger, when they're just enticed by junk food through friends and you know it's everywhere around you, the advertising. How do you, how uh, did you navigate that? That is, um, I, I'd, I'd say that's more about that's more a question of rather about food. It's rather about peer pressure mm-hmm. and um, educating your children how to be. Um, how to be in a group right. and how to how to respond to to those kinds of things. I mean, we we kind of uh, clearly showed the children that, or just kind of just basically said to them, "Look, there's going to be an age in your life where you want to be part of the group, and it's going to mean so much to you just to be part of the group. And then there's going to be suddenly an age where you want to be different. Yeah, and um, that's usually." And and so, kind of explaining the phases of development of, of of child development to them in terms which they can understand, um, yeah, and letting them make their own decisions, trusting them then thus to make good decisions. Well, it's other thing, Hillary, and and, and you know, uh, Sylvan, the school system, how does that fit into this? Can it, can it do a better job uh, in helping not only the kids but the parents? And that's a provincial body that you know that potentially looks over the and school boards, but can maybe the province can be more involved in this. Yeah, I actually think school boards, uh, I don't know exactly what's happening in B.C., but from, from my experience in B.C., when I used to travel, you know, before COVID, when I went to B.C., right. I saw some great things going on in schools. I mean, the education was certainly there. So after a while, of course, when, when life kicks in, uh, when you have a budget to respect, yeah, yeah, you're, you're pressed for time, that's when things get a little bit tricky. In a classroom... Uh, things can be become very academic with the food guide and everything else. But at the end of the day, it boils down to choices we make every single day. Now, we just had a grandmother calling in, which is great. And, and honestly, I think grandmothers should spoil their grandchildren. But grandmothers <laughs> don't want to kill their grandchildren either. They're very responsible. <laughs> Hillary, do you spoil your your grandkids more than you did your kids? And especially when okay, you guys, I am the total contrarian. My idea <laughs> okay. of spoiling my grandchild would be to send her a package of kale seeds. Because <laughs> my kids, oh, wow. <laughs> I know, right? I'm always the one running around saying, how do you, how do you teach your kids a good work ethic? You know, and so I ask them, I ask my kids to think outside the box. And for the most part, I was successful with my guys, but my granddaughter, she, (laughs) I worry, I worry about the choices she's going to make. Yeah. So it's, I'm pushing green. Green is like that's the first color she learned oh, from okay. me. Okay, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, thanks, Hillary, for calling in. Oh. I appreciate that. It's an interesting idea. Don't you think, Sylvan, focus on colors. Yeah. I mean, I think colors yeah, is sometimes, yeah, as you said earlier, you know, your your cereal glowing in the dark is not necessarily a good thing. And so if my cereal is green, and I'm, I mean, sure her, I'm sure her grandchildren love her for that. <laughs> yes. And you know, Lucky Charms for some reason aren't green. I don't know why they're they're pink and purple, and but uh, they should be green, shouldn't they? But yeah, no, I, I I'm curious. Yeah, that's it's it's a challenge, as you know, as a parent, as Hillary's. You know, she's she sounds like she's doing a great job as a grandparent and a parent. But I know it's tough. It's tough, you know, and especially if your kids are inundated with uh, marketing, uh, their friends. If their parents aren't doing a good enough job, then you're kind of faced with 
to dealing with that as well. So it's tough, but I appreciate you oh, being yeah. here. There's, there's pressures coming from all over the place, which is something you can't really learn in school or yeah. you don't, you're not, you, you can't experience it in school. Kids will go to campings, will go to other uh, friends' places, yeah. and, and you'll see different behaviors, different choices, and then they come home and say, why don't we do this? Why aren't we doing that? Yeah. So that as a parent, there's, there's, tough. that's added pressure. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Sylvan. appreciate you being here. Take care. George Affleck in for uh, Jill Bennett today into our last half hour of the show. And, uh, you know, with the recent coyote attack on a two-year-old girl in Stanley Park, people are calling for the immediate removal of all the coyotes in Stanley Park. According to the BC Conservation Office serv- Officer Service, there are, there's been 31 coyote, coyote attacks in the park since January, which is unprecedented. Last night, four, four coyotes were killed in Stanley Park, perhaps just a start, as there is reported to be six that they may need to find. Animal lawyer Rebecca Brader says this about the, the, uh, the coyotes. It's not a coyote problem. It's a human problem. Why the heck are people continuing to feed wildlife and attract coyotes and, and other animals as well? And then it's coyotes who, who take the blame and ultimately pay the ultimate price with their life. That was Rebecca Bretter when she was on Charles Adler last night saying that. And she joins me now on this show, and I want to talk to her a bit about this because I want to know what you, if you can expand on that. What do you mean it's, it's a human problem? Hi, George. Hi. Thanks so much for having yeah, no me. Problem. And, and thanks for raising this issue again. It's a human problem because we're the ones who caused it. I, I, the way the Conservation Office Service is dealing with this situation, and the City of Vancouver for that matter, and Park Board specifically, is an absolute disgrace. Killing coyotes right now, and especially they don't even know if they have the right ones. I know, that's a sim- good question. <laughs> well, it's wow. not like they could seriously interrogate the coyote and ask yeah. if they're the ones who did it. Mm-hmm. But in all seriousness, killing coyotes right now is simply a misguided public relations stint to appease the public that something is being done instead of actually dealing with the root of the problem. And what I mean by that is that the root of the problem is that the way humans are allowed to now interact with wildlife is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the, the reason it's strongly suspected that the reason why this is happening now is because, well, for a number of reasons, mainly that people are feeding coyotes, people are feeding other wildlife, Mm -hmm. they're leaving attractants so that the animals get used to it and then they get used to being around people. And and like I said yesterday to Charles, ultimately they pay the price. And and really what the Conservation Service should be doing now is instead of pulling out their guns and leg hole traps that we just discovered they're using, mm-hmm. to, which, which is completely there, yeah. inhumane. Um, so instead of pulling out their guns, the Conservation Service should be pulling out their ticket book. They have the power under the Wildlife Act to actually issue tickets to anyone found leaving an attractant or feeding wildlife. There is absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be done right now. In, so, in other words, there should be very strong enforcement with stiff penalties for anyone found it, uh, 
attracting coyotes or feeding them. What, what's what's weird? I don't remember this ever being a problem before, and I, I don't even I didn't even know there were coyotes in Stanley Park until these recent incidents. To be honest, right. and, and you know what would they be feeding on normally in that park? Is there enough food to actually feed coyotes, which are comparatively speaking to the other animals in in Stanley Park are large larger larger than others, and so require perhaps more food. And where would that food come from? That's a good question. So one of the things that we don't know is why exactly is this happening? I mean, we do know, we suspect that part of it is because people are feeding wildlife. Mm -hmm. That we know for sure. There are also attractants, like silly things, like why on earth are there garbage cans that are open and available for any wildlife to go in? It's easy picking, in other words. We should be having, just like if you go anywhere in Metro Vancouver and like Port Moody, Coquitlam, North Van, you know, neighboring communities that have bears in, in the area, they have those... The locked the, bins. Exactly. They yeah. have the, the locked bins. That's mm-hmm. what we should have in Stanley Park. Mm-hmm. So very simple things. And so it is, there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way we approach our interactions with wildlife and the way we deal with these types of situations. Because killing, I know that people think, my goodness, a poor two-year-old, and my heart goes out. I'm a mom, mm-hmm. so my heart totally goes out to the family. Yeah, you can imagine the scenario as a parent. You're like, oh, I don't even know what of I would course. do. But, of course, mm-hmm. and I, I absolutely. But killing the coyotes is not the answer. That is simply a Band-Aid solution that does not deal with the crux of the problem. Not to mention that park board that has a jurisdiction over yeah, parks. But why don't they implement, enact, not just implement, but enact a bylaw, just like other cities have, mm-hmm. that prohibits the feeding of wildlife? I think Very they do have that bylaw. I'm pretty sure they do have that bylaw. I, I know I, that, don't they? I'm, I'm going to ask them, but I, I thought they had that bylaw. But you would think one of the challenges with Park Board is they don't, they always complain because they don't have enough rangers to ticket people. So all the stuff going on, they have like 14 rangers and 200 parks. And, and it's yeah. literally, you're, you're, it's an impossible situation to deal with this, to go ticket people feeding any animal in the Stanley Park. First, you got to catch them. Then you got to ticket them with 14 park rangers if that's their, one of their jobs. Meanwhile, they're building tents in other parks around the city. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't, they can't keep up. And, and Right. I, I mean, I, I, I share part of that concern, but the reality is, is that this situation has to be properly dealt with. And it's not being properly dealt with. What's going on right now with killing coyotes and especially the way they're doing it now is simply a public relations stint to try and appease the public. And I can assure the public, this is not a long-term solution. Wildlife is here to stay. You may not have realized that they're coyotes, but coyotes are in Stanley Park. They have they have other food sources there, like mice and rats and, and whatever other. I think they were just better at hiding themselves before. I mean, that's why. Maybe, you know. maybe, right? And the COVID situation has change things in the mm-hmm. way we use parks, yeah. for sure. But really, fundamentally, there has to be a, a shift with the way we handle these situations because we need a long-term solution, not a Band-Aid solution where wildlife pay the price with their lives. So you're a lawyer, though. Are you going to do something about this legally? Is there, is there any legal avenues you can pursue? Well, I'm not about to tell you that <laughs> I'm about to launch a lawsuit against <laughs> the park board why not <laughs> everybody else has <laughs> right yeah no kidding right yeah. uh but what i can say as a lawyer is that there's absolutely no reason why uh, why first of all there shouldn't be a proper bylaw that's enacted that prohibits the feeding of wildlife and secondly that there should be adequate enforcement measures taken and that they should actually do it 
Mm-hmm. And until that bylaw comes into effect or until they enforce it, conservation officers have the power already under the Wildlife Act, which is a provincial legislation that gives them the power to do exactly that. So use it. Pull out your ticket book instead of pulling out your guns. All right. On that note, Rebecca, I appreciate you being here, and, uh, and your viewpoint's important. And I think uh, you know, if it, you know, public relations, uh, spin, all those things are something that quite often governments do uh, rely on in a way they maybe shouldn't. And and uh, right. so I appreciate your your point of view today. Well, thank you very much for having me, George. Thanks.